Hi, I'm Willote Sol. And I'm Carlo. And we are two POC entrepreneurs sharing the process of progress of evolving into our authentic selves, one conversation at a time. Welcome and bienvenidos to Trials, Trials and, and Transformations, Transformations Podcast. Podcast. Hey listeners, we just wanted to give a little update and intro a wonderful interview with a friend of ours, Mariam. She's a local artist, a local activist, and we get into how both of those intersections make up a little part of her and a little bit more of her journey. So Yeah, we're excited to show you this. She is delightful, very well spoken, and we think she has a lot of really great work that she's been making that is not only important personally to her, but also relevant to what's happening right now. Definitely. And there's a lot of weavings and um, you'll see what that means later. So stay tuned and check us out. How's it going? Hi, Will. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. I'll bite a little tired. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm also a little bit tired. I think um, with the evenings in the morning getting a little bit dark and cool, Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder. It's I just confusing. Don't, yeah, I just don't want it. And leaves are changing too fast. I'm and down. Shit, you I'm know. here for it. I need to cool off and stay inside. Yeah, here. August was hot. August was too hot. As fuck. July was hotter. It was. Yeah. It was really hot. But um, here we are. We're here, back again, with another episode. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to get into our astral forecast. And before we get into that, we would like to introduce our friend... It's Mariam. Hello, hello everyone. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, thanks for being available to us. So, yes. and we shall go into more details about Mariam. Yes. After Astro Fortress. Right now, we're going to go up into the cosmos with the stars and the moon and the sun, <laughs> our luminaries that tell us what's going on. Um, we're currently in Virgo season, and the moon is also in a Mercury ruled sign in Gemini so hopefully we can harness some of this for communication um, I heard from my astrologers that there there can be some tension like opposition in this position um, mm-hmm. so let's use this tension <laughs> let's use it not sit in it with frustration exactly with Virgo being a mutable sign <sighs> <laughs> let's move it <laughs> it's good signs uh, What's your sign, Mary? My sun sign is in Libra. Mm. Oh. And my rising is Sagittarius. I have a rising Sag too. Oh. What? Oh. Awesome. And it's about to be our season, but better not to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> not yet. Awesome. Not, we're not there yet. Well, who knows when this, right. when well, this yeah. shall happen? Maybe, it's true. Might be, might, it might air during an air. Yeah, air time. season. <laughs> who knows? But so we have a lot of air and fire in this conversation, yes. which shall help us move it along. What are y'all signs again? I'm an Aries with a Libra rising. Oh, okay, cool. And a Leo moon. And I am a Libra with a Sag rising and an Aries moon. Oh, so, <laughs> so there's a lot of the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm a Scorpio moon, so it kind of like it balances balances out the Libra a little bit, but like my chart is mostly Libra and Scorpio. Mm. So yeah, yeah, we got into that a little bit. I have like three planets in Scorpio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, lovely. So, all right. So, yeah. So, we're gonna come out of the clouds now. Come to the ground. Hi, Virgo. Um, like the Mother Earth, 
the mate. Is it a is it a matron sign? Sign of matron. I know it's like the, the matriarch. He was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. The witch. You mean like, like a crown kind of thing? Um, or like the goddess of like fertility. Yeah. Yeah, like she often is depicted as that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would rest in some moss and some friendly flowers and just like <laughs> being out in nature, you know, because quarantine is still real and in effect. Um, so yeah, so let's dive into talking with our friend here and our guest because we want to know about you and your autistic process, <laughs> if we yeah. may. So yeah, we always like to start out with, um, yeah, how do you identify like pronouns and yeah. Yeah, so I identify as a mixed race black woman and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom is Guatemalan, my dad's African American, so there's kind of that like, you know, like having more than one identity is a little bit difficult, but kind mm-hmm. of merging the two into like, obviously I present very much as like as a black person. So by saying mixed race black person, I think it's a little bit like clear to people, but also at the same time more like open-ended mm-hmm. in a way. Okay. But I think it gets like the idea across. Yeah. What was that like? Like, do you grow up closer to your African-American side than your Guatemalan side, or...? I mean, it's kind of hard to say, because, like, my... So we moved here, not here, but we moved to New York State when I was, like, three years old. We moved to, like, a little town called Niskuna outside of Schenectady, New York. Mm. And so we moved from California, which is where my mom's family was. Mm. And so, like, just kind of being disconnected from, like, external or, um non-immediate family kind of has like kind of like made us come up with our own identity in a way Mm -hmm. and also like the fact that we were raised muslim like it was just kind of like a smorgasbord of like Mm. identity and religion and like what does it all mean and Mm -hmm. i mean it's definitely like a journey that i'm still continuing to this day but like Mm. i mean personally i think a lot of mixed race people who um present more I mean obviously the black gene is stronger it's a dominant gene so like it shows up more um in your phenotype Mm -hmm. so like I feel like when you present a certain way that's kind of how you see yourself you know because like if you live in a society um that obviously has race as a construct and you're presenting as like a certain race you're going to be treated that way so it's kind of like you internalize like society's outlook mm-hmm. towards you mm-hmm. and like identify in that way as well but like I mean growing up we did like my mom did speak to us in Spanish a little bit so like I do know Spanish roughly mm-hmm. like I do get really anxious when I speak it so like my grammar just like goes out the window oh, like I'm, I'm scared, just, like, scared. I'm like I went to Guatemala um, back in 2015 and that was my first time going there mm. so like yeah I mean I would definitely love to go back and like reconnect and like see like the family that I had met for the first time when I was there yeah. right. so it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like a, a cross between how you present and how you identify and how those two kind of merge into one but also I feel like, you know, there's always, life is always a continuous journey and you're always going to learn more and like, m- like shift your outlook mm-hmm. along the way as well. So like, yeah, I mean, that's a good, I, that's a good question. Like, how do we identify it's 
I feel like it's kind of ever-changing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's similar to like the conversation of what is home for a lot of people like um, with intersectionalities and multicultural like it's usually a story that's longer than oh I was born here and I was raised here yeah um, um, compared to a lot of our peers that are like born and raised in this area um, and so I can identify with the story of having a more insulated culture um, to migrate mostly for like education or jobs being our parents and then it being northern historically a place where black people came and were in textiles um, and also um, own property so it's like I'm thinking about the, that sort of history and then also yeah you um, leading into your creative process because you're taking in this information and you're um, asking questions young people asking questions like who am I like what you know and right, it's yeah. a part of um, kind of the home culture that kind of radi- radiates out into like the larger culture and then you go to school and you're like oh what do your parents do you, like what do you celebrate like what right, holidays yeah. you know and you with having muslim holidays those are uh, different times of the year than mm-hmm. a lot of your peers so that must have um maybe conversations came up in school or i don't know if you ever wore a job at some point but mm-hmm. that's these are some of the things that are coming to mind i'm like oh wow you know? right yeah for <laughs> sure especially like being raised muslim like it was very hard for people to understand because like we follow the lunar calendar mm. so our holidays are different days every year yeah so it's like it's not really possible for school to ever like have a set holiday oh, where it's wow. off so like we never got recognized as having oh. holidays essentially mm. okay. it was like oh like i'm gonna write a teach uh, a note to your teacher saying that you're not coming in because it's your holiday kind right, of thing right and like yeah especially being i remember like elementary school obviously it was like christmas time or holiday time mm. quote unquote as they say it was like you know hanukkah christmas kwanzaa and I remember learning about Kwanzaa. Like, my school is, like, super, super white. I was going to ask I'm you pretty, about what yeah, the context was. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was, like, 96% white. Mm-hmm. Probably more mm-hmm. at that time because that was just elementary school. And it was me, one <laughs> adopted girl from Bolivia, um, and, like, two young boys that were first-generation Nigerian, I'm pretty sure. So, like, it was, it was very, very, like... A very white like area and so I remember learning about Kwanzaa and like I was like whoa what's this because like we're reading books and like there are black people in it and I'm like wait a minute do my parents know about this <laughs> <laughs> like I gotta go tell wait, them dad <laughs> and I remember I got yeah. home and I was like guys you know about Kwanzaa like are we gonna celebrate it and my dad was just like Kwanzaa like no we're, we're Muslim <laughs> that's not and I was just kind of like shut down and mm. I feel like that was like kind of the first time I was like battling with my identity a little bit Mm. just like where do I fit in as a person who looks black and is half black but also you know has different customs and has different holidays and like you know where do I fall in line in terms of like you know how I present and how I like identify Mm -hmm. Huh. That is very interesting. Yeah. It's also funny to think about, you know, you have your identity that you're building yourself as you grow up and with your family, and then if you are transplanted anywhere else, then that identity will shift according mm-hmm. to how you're seen from the outside, too. So right. even, like like you're saying, it's a it's something that builds over time. Like, what, if you move somewhere else, if you, then, then you're going to be seen as something else, and then it's going to be like, 
it's this constant process of right. figuring out what you take up and what you leave behind. And, mm. Mm, that makes me think about um, as a kid, like some of the things you like to do, um, and yeah, did you play like to play outside? Like, what did you what did you do inside the house and outside of the house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like we, our first house when we moved to Niskuna was like on like a decent size, um, like plot of land, mm -hmm. and like also like it wasn't that big, but like we had like a forest behind our house nice. that has like a creek and stuff so like as kids we would always be back there kind of like creating new worlds yeah, and stuff like got a that whole ecosystem back there. yeah <laughs> it was like pretending that it was like our little like fairy tale land i feel like at least in my mind that's kind of how i looked at it like just like going into the creek and like finding different animals and like like building stuff like little like like um little structures and whatnot that we could like kind of fake camp in mm -hmm. like stay in there for three hours and be like oh we, we gotta go home <laughs> <laughs> it's getting dark like yeah. we wanted to be about it but like also kids scared of the dark right but like and then of course like as a kid I was always like super creative um I remember I think it I would almost attribute attribute it to um like a speech therapist that I had her name was Heidi. Like, I have such a memory of her in my head, actually. And she would come to the house and, like, we'd do, like, speech exercises, which I don't remember too much. What were you not able to say? A lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my mom has this one story of, like, I wanted to do my arts and crafts, and, like, we had this little cabinet that was kind of high up. And there was glue all the way up at the, ca at the top shelf. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want the two. I want the two. the two! And like no one knew what I was saying what and I was so two? mad. <laughs> and I was like crying and my mom was like, I crossed my arms and I was like, I wish I could talk white. <laughs> so just, like, Which of, is hilarious because it sounds like two different things. I know, yeah. I was wow. trying to say, I wish I could talk right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's a whole other layer that. Right. Yeah. Oh Establish that. But so yeah, normal. so, um, uh, yeah, but what I remember most is, like, us doing arts and crafts and, like, building stuff out of, like, the tongue suppressor things mm. yep. that a lot of speech yep. therapists use. Popsicle sticks. Yeah. 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 Like, yep. you'd make these little houses and stuff. So I feel like maybe that had a part in, like, sparking huh. my creativity. Mm. But, like, from there, I feel like around the age of, like, six through eight, I was, like, super, super into, like, how to draw books. And like obsessed with getting everything yeah. like perfect. Yes, that's that attention. Like, that's that this, Libra. I need this to look like this dash hound in this book right here. Yes. <laughs> so like that's I, really <laughs> I know because like they would have like the how to draw dogs, how to draw horses, how to draw like all these different kinds of animals. So like I would. They would have different, like, uh, not species, but, like, breeds, I guess, of dogs and horses. So I'd have, like, my little collection of dogs and my little collection of horses and be like, mm -hmm. hey, look at everyone. <laughs> I guess they're, at that point, it was, like, kind of, like, little zines before I even knew what yeah, zines cool. were. It's just that. kind of funny. Uh, that I, I resonate with the... the the frustrations of the little one, like be, <laughs> being able to... It was terrible to be a child. Right? To, to know <laughs> what you want, but not be able to communicate yeah. with it and know exactly where it is. And the parents just being like, no, honey, oh, what's... You know, like not really <laughs> believing you or taking you that seriously. And you're like, this is all I want in my life right now. Like, I want to glue these two sticks together <laughs> to make a V, because then it'll make a little structure yep. for my Barbie. Can we get this going, please? Like, if I don't get this glue right now, I'm going to yeah. lose it. <laughs> my mom always tells the story when I was like seven years old in first grade and I had to draw it wasn't even important it was like 
at the bottom of your notebook, like fill it in, fill it up with a, a drawing from the book. And I was trying to copy this like house on a hill. I remember the house on the hill, and it wasn't perfect, and I was losing <laughs> my mind. And I was like, I'm never gonna help you with school again. I was like, All right, mother. <laughs> she stuck to that. Anyway, so so that's cool. That's kind of your starting. But it's funny because you also said that you would be you would build like shelters in the woods. So. That was another way of creating yeah, too while you were so. outside. Yeah. Um, and fast forwarding from that, what was that like as a kid, kind of up until school? Like, what kind of made you decide you ended up going to school for art? Correct. Yeah. So How did like, you get there? I like when I was around like twelve to like fifteen, I got really into like fashion design. And, like, my mom's side of the family um, are fashion designers and seamstresses. So, like, my grandma got me a sewing machine. And, like, I would make the, these little skirts for, like, my mom and, like, my friends. <laughs> they were just, like, really basic, like, layered skirts. That's so, so like, a one panel of fabric sewed down, down, down kind of a thing. Like, really flowy. They're actually, like, pretty decent looking back. But, like, so when I, like, was thinking about college, I really wanted to go to school for fashion and I was, like, ready to get out, like, I want to go to FIT, all this, and, like, my parents at that time were still, like, very, like, strict, and, like, mm. why don't you stay here for a couple years, so, like, so I looked for schools, like, around the area, and I was kind of, like, I mean, I guess I'll go for art, like, it was kind of, like, this, <laughs> I was, like, I guess if I can't go for fashion, like, I'll go for art, because it was something that I enjoyed, but at that point, I was so, like, laser-focused into, like, I want to make clothes and like I want mm. to do fashion but like looking back on it I feel like I would have been so frustrated mm. with fashion because it was something that was always kind of like like it was something I was improving on but like the math of it like I don't even know it would huh. just like go over my head mm. and like things would come out like all sorts of fucked up yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> so I went to school for two years at this like private school in Albany called Sage and like their program is very very small and that was for fashion? Uh, wait do you know about no, Sage? Keep, keep, I, I might intrigued. I might yeah but keep going it's a kernel like. keep going. <laughs> but yeah I went there for art and like the art program was pretty okay at first it was very small it was basically me and my best friend Emily and like we were kind of at I mean, when we began, we weren't super close, but, like, I feel like we bonded over being, like, the two people in the program that were, like, super serious about it mm -hmm. and, like, actually wanted to put an effort and learn mm -hmm. because it was, like, I feel like they were just kind of, they wanted people in the program, so they kind of just accepted anyone. So people would come to class with, like, nothing to show, and it was, like, super frustrating. That is so frustrating, yeah. So, like... After, like, a year and a half, I was kind of like, why am I paying to be here? <laughs> because they're just, like, Fuck wasn't this. that many professors. <laughs> there weren't people that were super, like, like passionate about what they were doing. That's and, like, hard. I feel like I stayed mm -hmm. because my friends were there for... Yeah. I mean, like, that's kind of the motivating factor. But, like, I... For some reason, my tuition went up. I don't think I qualified for as much financial aid. So I was kind of like alright, like, this isn't serving me anymore, I've yeah. learned what I needed to learn, and then so, like, I stopped going there, I took, like, a break, and just, like, lived with my sister in Albany for a year and a half or so, and, um, just did my own art practice when I was, like, off, uh, outside of school, and I feel like in that time, 
I kind of got a glimpse into like the style that I wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. Just like having the time and not having any like deadlines or like mm-hmm. time constraints like allowed me to like explore what I wanted to do instead of like, you know, doing assignments that are like still lives and like mm-hmm. You know, at that point, like, the first two years of art school is, like, pretty foundational. Yep. And, like, once you get to your third year, it's more, like, explorative and that kind of thing. So I feel like I took that time to kind of start, like, my junior year of school in terms of, like, being more creative and exploring more. And then so, like, after that year was up, my sister got engaged. So I was kind of like, okay, oh, I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> my place lived. Wow. Wait, so what kind of stuff were you making at that point? Were you drawing? Were you painting? It was a lot of drawing. And yeah. it was a little bit of painting, but like, so the drawings um, were like pen, like really kind of like very tight pen drawings of like faces mm-hmm. and more like surrealist type things, like faces and flowers and like strange kind of like almost like body landscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a couple paintings that I was, like, looking back on it, just, like, so, like, zeroed in on to the point where I couldn't take a step back and, like, breathe from it. So I remember there was, like, mm. this one painting I was working on for, like, probably a year, and it was, like, wow. of my ex. At, and at the time, we were together, but, like, it was not a good relationship. Mm. I mean, it was, like, kind of, kind of, like emotionally abusive in a way so like I feel like that was probably part of like the hindrance in that piece but like yeah so at that time I was doing a lot of drawings but also kind of figuring out like how I want to paint and like learning kind of how to like step away from work and like know when things are just like done Mm. and like instead of like overworking something starting something new kind of a thing yeah but yeah, like important pieces. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because I feel like I have the opposite thing where I just make something in like two hours and I'm like I never will touch it again. But if I touched it again, it would look something. <laughs> yeah, it would like be yeah, so much better. Yeah, you mm-hmm. have to. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like about knowing like when to like put the paintbrush when down. Done. Do you get a feeling, or do you, mm. like is it just kind of like I'm sick of this or like I'm intuiting I'm intuiting this this is ready or I feel like back then I. Well, I feel like just recently I started working more with sketches because back then I was more like impulsive. I was just like right to the canvas, like, okay, let's draw this and then we'll figure out what goes here later and then like we'll figure that out later. But like um, recently I've been doing like a lot of like shooting a lot before photography Mm -hmm. and then drawing out the composition a few times and doing actual like thumbnails, which is kind of how you're supposed to work. But I was always like, cool. No, I just want to start. That's funny. Yeah. That's, yeah, and that's if you learned some of that stuff in school. Well, actually, let's go back and we'll go back to those questions. Okay. Oh, okay. Wait, so what, what else <laughs> happened after? I love that. But yeah, I feel like that time was kind of me learning more about process more than like mm. style. Your own process. Yeah. What yeah, is personally? Um, hmm. And were you making zines at that time, like with your friend? And you said um, um, at that time. time. No, so after that, like, I was staying, I was kind of, like, couch surfing a little bit, because, like, my parents were, like, they were here, of course, and I was in Albany, and they were kind of, like, oh, yeah, you can come here for the summer, blah, blah, blah. but me being stubborn, I just kind of wanted to be on my own, didn't really want to be back with my parents, um, so, like, 
like after um, my sister got engaged, I got into SUNY Purchase. Okay. So like in that interim time, I was living here in Ithaca with my parents. And then so I went to Purchase for like a semester and like I definitely learned a lot about myself rather than like learning a lot about art. I feel like the mm. environment there artistically was kind of toxic. Mm. People were like always stealing paintings and like there was just a bunch of like weird shit that would always happen there. Really like, stealing, like art would just get stolen constantly. Like, cause we would have hallway shows and people would steal that. That's awful. And then people, even like some art students would steal other people's paintings and like paint over them. <gasps> and pass off as theirs maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. But like, yeah, I definitely did some like a lot of like self-discovery there. But in terms of artwork, I felt very kind of like stagnant because it was like, like art always functions within like the current like canon. Mm-hmm. And I feel like right now it's very heavy on like, abstract and kind of like there was kind of like a trend of like ugly art yeah. at the time <laughs> which was like so annoying and it's like I feel like I got criticized for tr- like painting realistically but it's like at the same time I'm not gonna change my style just because I feel like it's trendy and it's gonna be what people like mm-hmm. like art should come from yourself and of course, there are factors in life that influence your style and influence what you see as art. But like, still, I don't want to like directly kind of like copy what the current like trend is in art. And that's kind of like the the idea that was there. Like, it was very much like like paint like this because like so and so said it is valuable. Which honestly is paint like this because there's been a certain number of white men in the past who have painted like this. Because that's really what it is. That agreed about it a small room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And that's it, you know, I think it's really alienating. I was actually talking about this with my roommate yesterday that, you know, as a person of color it, or as a per, as a person from any kind of disenfranchised group, um, even as a woman too you end up being like, you know, you're like, you're, there's things that you're interested in and you want to make, right? But you either have to speak to the current trends, which, again, were created by white men that are just like, you know, I'm just really fascinated by uh, the way leaves fall into the ground. Yeah. Like, it's always stuff that are like... Andy Goldsworthy. Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm really fascinated by lines, um, by straight lines. And then they, they will just have, like, a canvas with, like, two straight lines. And it's like, but it's like, here's, like... 300 words that make this valid somehow you know what i mean right right and then but then and then if you're a person of color the option that you have as an alternative to that is to speak about is to victimize yourself and, yes exactly <laughs> and be like well you know and so it's a really difficult thing to do to walk to you know to speak about an authentic experience and do it from a perspective that is like your own right exactly <laughs> Uh, just to say like to be an artist and not a woman artist yeah like uh, oftentimes like you also have to make art specifically just about being a woman right um yeah yeah if it's <laughs> if it's got a female a female or feminine perspective or tone that's not that's not what they want <laughs> it needs to be about um suffering as a woman for it to be like what they want right you know? exactly and that's kind of like a hard place to find balance in and also like like going off your idea of like everything basically is derived from like what white through like the white lens of like what is valid yeah and like if we look back on art history 
I mean, we can see, like, these white men, like, Picasso and, like, Gauguin, who... Picasso, obviously, people are familiar with his work. He works with, like, African masks as, <laughs> like, a subject matter. And, like, you look at his work, and it's considered right. fine art. Right. And then you look at actual, like, African work, and it's considered folk art. Right. Yeah, which craft. is, like... That's always very interesting. Right, and, like, you can see the language, and you can see, like, the hierarchy of art, and it's just, like, I mean, it's all rooted in white supremacy, of course, but it's it's so ridiculous if you actually look at, look at it and you actually dissect it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, Gauguin, specifically, I believe he was a French artist, I'm not quite yeah, sure. Yeah, he was. But he basically, like, went to, like, South America and other brown countries and would, like, paint like, young girls in the nude. Who did, like, Polynesia, right? Was he the one who went to Polynesia? He probably... Did a lot of that they, stuff, too. They all went everywhere. They were like, let me see what it's like, let's, let's just go see some brown people and, like, paint them. Paint them naked. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, just, like, all this, like, yeah, like, we do have African and, like, Latin um, influence in a lot of fine art, but it's always through the lens of a white man. Yep. So, so it's like, diluted that many times right, over. Right, exactly. Yeah. But then we, when we have art that's made by black and brown people of that time, it's, you know, of course, just belittled in such a way where it's just obscure and no one knows about it. So were you feeling the push of that from your professors as well as your peers? Because I know, like, there can be a common culture within the, the students, but were you feeling like you were getting um, persuaded or being like, this is how it is in the field by your professors in that sort of way? I think both. Mm. Like, like as students, there were other people that were like working in similar styles as I did, which is cool. But then, like, kind of the majority was like, and like nothing to say, not not to say anything bad about any other style, but like working more in like exploratory ways, in the sense of like abstract art and like I can't think of the other name, but like. Art like that, conceptual stuff in Like, general. conceptual stuff. But it's, like... I, and it's just kind of the notion that if you're painting in a realistic way, it's, like, less than. Yeah. Huh. Because it's not what's modern right now. Interesting. Right. right. It's yeah. not the contemporary style. Because it doesn't have a style, quote-unquote, too, right? It's right. Like and, like, there are just, so yeah. many styles within realistic art, you know? And there... It, like, it doesn't... It doesn't make it, like, void of meaning. Like, I mean... Also, at the same time, I'm not super into like hyper realism, because mm-hmm. I feel which like is the only like trend in realism that I feel like gets sold, right? Like it's like those photos that look like they're n- it's not recognized as high quality, but it is like it does sell. Like those photos that those p- drawings or paintings that actually look like a photo, and people are like, it's amazing. It looks right. exactly. I feel like, like a, a lot photo. of like non artists like really really like that stuff because it's mm-hmm. like yeah oh, like. <laughs> Oh, anyone can do abstract, which is not true at yeah, all. Yeah. And, like, I don't want it to make. I don't want to seem like I'm saying that at all. But no, like, no. hyperrealism, yes, it's a skill, but also you could just take a photograph. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like if you're not feeling, doing yeah. anything to change a photograph, like why? Just take why even photograph. do it? Yeah, just take a agree. photograph while you're wasting your time. But like, and I feel like my style has kind of evolved to like. Yes, I like to paint realistically, but also I like to interpret. Um, other factors in more of a surrealist way. Yeah. So it's like taking, like, say, like a face that's painted realistically, and it's in this like environment that would never exist in real life. 
So kind of like merging the two in order to make like a like very like dreamy kind of state type of art, which is I'm which is what I'm like super into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dream dreamscape, I love that. Yeah. Uh, the theme of mosaics come to mind mm-hmm. of just like mosaic people of being made of like many pieces, mm-hmm. and then like um, the process of learning and building a perspective and lens being like a piecemeal, like you, you yeah. taking pictures and then painting from those pictures. So you're saying how it needs to come from within and you're developing your own perspective mm-hmm. and then pulling from that, right. which is what we love. And a school can't always teach that. Like what I'm hearing is like you building relationships in school and you um, learning how to take um, responsibility for your own process mm-hmm. in these institutions when these institutions are supposed to provide that. but obviously we can learn by example or by default and i as a art school dropout i definitely learned things that as like from a default perspective of like oh that doesn't feel like um like beneficial to me right now or something that i want to like subject myself to you know right. uh, they wanted me to paint something that didn't look like there was paint in it so we had to like paint it with acrylic and like dry it with a blow dryer so there's no brush strokes like neurotic shit because oh, no. i was in a, like you what? know high to do like very private expensive art school you know where was that offered university oh, you know right, in the big right. hogwarts building <laughs> that they have it's kind of like part yeah park castle building. park school yeah mm. part beehive it's interesting mm. that like art school's they kind of fall into one, like from from you know what I see, fall into one of two categories. Is either they're like highly technical, which is very like a cold like it's very like old school French, mm-hmm. you know, like back before impressionism kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the new schools that are like go out there and like you know think outside. You know, it's like it's yeah. like they like encourage you I'll to think to be that. outside yeah. the box yeah. or whatever, or like be both, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then there's no both. one actually teaching you how to connect with yourself. There's right. no like emotional process development. There's I no. I feel like that can't be taught. Well, you know, interestingly enough, like the program that I see that they've recently started, and you know, we'll see how that changes. They have a uh, image text. It, uh, it's called Image Text Ithaca, which is this combination of photography and images and, and text. And that program is, um, it's a kind of like, it's kind of like, it's low residency. So it, they only meet for like a month every summer and for a couple weeks in the winter. And well, you know, I don't know what they're doing now, but what they would do would be that. And when they met, it was like actually really wacky. And like, they'd be like, we are now, we're exploring, like we're all going to randomly make stuff and we're going to like go into a room and look at this and like. We journal for an hour and like you okay. know so it was a lot of that stuff mixed together and then the, the bulk of the art that you would make would be throughout the year and I, they're doing something still similar to that but i think that's a very new program you know that's a that's a program that's four years old so mm-hmm. it's i think they're you know there's a desire for creating more things and you know there's been examples like black mountain college i think which was a school that was like back in in the 60s or something oh, which yeah. was like it was an alternative school that was created in the middle of the, the smoky mountains i think mm-hmm. and it was like Everybody taught and everybody learned and everybody like interdisciplinary. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked into and going you, to yeah, that you school. did all of them. Yeah. yeah. I think they've created they've opened up something similar to that again recently. But anyway. Yeah, there's some other schools like that. I think like Hampshire College mm, yeah. I is to go like there. Yeah. yeah, I want to go there too. Like they don't have grades. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> it's just very like exploratory. Yeah. But like I guess what I mean by you can't teach like someone how to feel about their art oh, or yeah. kind of like. Like, you can't really teach uh, passion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, that 
like that has to be kind of something that's yeah. innate experiential in knowledge right exactly yeah. but like i feel like usually it's as you start like typically it's very technical like this is how you render a face this is how you render a hand this is how you do this that that perspective all of that like technical stuff and then once you have all that in your arsenal it's kind of like okay now what do you want to do mm. kind of thing that makes you think of like when i like when and how i met you like we had a mutual friend um our friend sophia hi sophia she, hi, in, Argen sophia. she in argentina i just found out you were friends with her <laughs> and so i kind of met you when you were um yeah, TC3, and you were um, doing a lot of paintings. You always had, you know, art supplies in the back of your car. You had or paint a whole painting in the back. Yeah, and you had, like, paint on you. And, like, yeah. I saw these beautiful murals that you did. So um, can we talk a little bit about that? And yeah, you came so... Back to oh, yeah, Africa? so after purchase. Yeah. Right, so um, after purchase, I only stayed there for a semester. Um, yeah, it was a lot, kind of, to be there. And it was very expensive, too. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I was mostly just paying for housing, which was very expensive, because it's in Westchester. Right. Like living on campus is expensive. Living off of campus is even more expensive. So it's outside of Manhattan. So, right, right. Exactly. So mm -hmm. it wasn't very like affordable to me. So when I moved back here, or moved here to live with my parents, I went to SUNY Cortland for two years, and then finally got my bachelor's degree. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, yeah, so the way it works at Cortland, I actually really enjoyed being there. Like, it, like, the community wasn't really what I was used to. I mean, the entire program was white. <laughs> the professors, no. really? the students. Wait, what? I'm sitting here. All white. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, I was the only person of color there. I mean, there was one student um, who was half uh, white, half Venezuelan, but, like, Oh, hello. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like, I thought he was white the whole time. Basically. Well, Ben is also really good at pretending that they're all white. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> they love their colonizers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the way it worked there was, like, you would, if you were part of the BFA program, which I was lucky enough to find out, like, very last minute, um, like, one of the first classes that I really enjoyed there was my fibers um, class, mm. which is where I was introduced to like screen printing, to like fabric dyeing, to like Ooh, so much. Cool. And my professor Jen, who like I'm friends with now, she's like super awesome. She like saw my work in class and she was like, "Are you part of the BFA program? Like deadlines this week?" And I was like, "I think I am." She was like, "You're definitely not because I'm the chair." And Are I you know. like BA or something? I was just um, studio arts BA, okay. which is like the less professional degree. Yeah. I don't. Well, really essentially, you're yeah, if you're doing art. But yeah, when so I applied for that, I got in, and like the way it worked was like you do your thesis show at or your thesis work your last year. So the first year I was there, I was just kind of exploring. Um, like the first semester there, I was doing a lot of like mixed media work, like working in the wood shop, which was amazing. Like that was mm, the first time oh, I got to learn that great. stuff. So I did a lot of work with like wood and mirror and drawing and painting and like merging all of those together and that was like a really fun exploratory time for me. That's so cool. And then the following semester I did uh, work that was focused on like fast fashion and how that works in conjunction with like the environment mm. and... That's deep. Yeah, oh, like, that's it, cool. it was really cool. Like I kind of learned there that I really enjoyed like merging my art with things that I saw in the world that need change kind of a thing and like using research and using like 
like data and transforming that into like paintings mm -hmm. and I felt like it was mm -hmm. a pretty like holistic way to like merge social issues with art because I feel like art definitely shapes society and like it it manifests what we need in, in society as well mm -hmm. like media art you know anything that is creative is like has so much power to like shape and like manifest a society that is needed yeah. in a way and then so the first year ended and then it was like time for me to think about my my thesis work and at first I was thinking of pursuing the environmental thing but through the lens of like environmental racism and how environmental um crises affect black and brown people like first and so I was doing some research there, but then I kind of shifted that and I decided to hone in on the black female experience in America. And like dating back to times of enslavement and seeing how those notions and like subconscious ideas and stereotypes from that time has permeated our current day consciousness mm. and how like that stuff hasn't gone away but it's just been kind of just uh reformed and disguised in a more like covert insidious way huh. and so i focused in on um reproductive rights and agency with your body as a black woman huh. so i read a few books one was killing the black body by dorothy roberts which basically chronicled like enslavement um post-enslavement, uh, like, Jim Crow era, and, like, the crack epidemic of, mm -hmm. like, the 70s and 80s, and how that kind of, uh, influenced how, like, black mothers were seen, and, like, learning about, of course, different, like, experimentation that happened, uh, to black women in times of enslavement, and, uh, in that crack epidemic era as well, with, like, um, well, before then, with, like, in the 1920s, 30s, when, like, Planned Parenthood started coming up as um, a way of, like, population control and how they were very much um, intentionally put into black communities oh, wow. as a way to keep the, the population down. Yeah. I believe at that time, black folks were... I might be wrong, but something like 20 to 30% of the population. And so, like, that was seen as, like, Whoa. the quote-unquote, like, Negro problem. Because, obviously, you have these people that were enslaved, and now they are free. They have and, babies, yeah. I mean, when you see people literally as property and right. means for your capital, when they're free, they're literally no use to you. And so, like, them starting that and the eugenics project. And so I kind of just, like, went through all of those times and kind of, like, synthesized this idea of, like, the very deep oppression that we have experienced in this country, but yet how strong and resilient that we are as black mm -hmm. women. And, I mean, if you look at any, like, freedom movement, it's always led by yeah. black women. Mm -hmm. So, like, taking the idea of, all of that pain and all of that trauma and how it has literally been inescapable to this day um, and how it's been transformed and like 
just turn in some, into something so strong and so beautiful. So, like, the title of the show is Alchemy of the Spirit, which basically is me talking about, like, as, as a black woman, like, our spirits were so kind of just crushed and, like, made to feel like nothing, but still we took all of that, that pain and just grew it into something beautiful. And so, um... I don't know if you guys want me to talk about, like, the paintings themselves, or... That one, that's a great title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is what I mean. That, it sounds beautiful. Right. It, it's, like... Yeah, definitely. It has so much to it. So, and this is your... This is part of what you did during your... Just to give a little... My thesis work. Your thesis work. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, talk about it. A, yeah. y- a year-long process. Mm-hmm. Um, so the series consists of four paintings. Um, and so throughout the series, I wanted to kind of, like chronicle but not focus in on the oppression but kind of chronicle how we've overcome that and how we've um just like turned this ugly past into something beautiful um so like in the first painting I kind of have like these three women um sitting down and then uh there are these white hands kind of reaching in and pulling these poinciana flowers that were painted gold out of them and so, like, throughout the series, I kind of have a few different motifs. One is muslin fabric. Mm-hmm. The other is, of course, the black female body. Um, the poinciana flowers and the Can night sky. Can you describe sky. those flowers, too? What kind of flowers are those? Yeah. Like? So, the poinciana flowers, when I was doing my research, I wanted to do something, of course, that had meaning. But, um... So I was looking at flowers that were native to Africa and like I didn't find too much that in terms of like their use really reflected a kind of the story I want to tell. So I can't remember exactly how I learned of these flowers but they're an, an herbaceous flower that is used for um, uh, basically all around like female reproductive health. Mm-hmm. So it helps with menstrual cramps. It helps with pain after childbirth, and I read that it can also be used as um, an abortion method. Mm-hmm. So just like, so as those as I use those flowers, I wanted to have them represent like rights and agency with your own body. Wow. So, um, in terms of the muslin fabric, the fabric um, muslin was used, or commonly allotted fabric for enslaved women to wear, because it was mm-hmm. easy to produce and like cheaper so that was a motif that I used as a symbol of oppression and then obviously the white hands you don't really need to you know get an explanation on that (laughs) so in in the first painting the flowers are being ripped away from them and they're kind of like bogged down under this fabric and their faces are fully painted but their bodies are left unpainted so as the series goes on the fabric starts to fade and then the bodies start to be filled in more and more throughout each piece of the four. And then so um, the flowers get more present as well. So as you go through the paintings, like you'll see less fabric, you'll see more of the bodies and more of the flowers. And in the final painting, it's basically like you can see the outline of the fabric underneath the women. They're kind of like surrounded by the flowers and they're kind of intertwining with their bodies and the bodies are fully painted in and it's like, very joyous scene of like collectivity and like um just like joy and beauty 
but like also that fabric is still there to represent that mm. like yes we are very strong and we're very re resilient and like all that we've done has come from us like all the rights that we've um i guess fought for, fought for yeah, yeah has come from us mm -hmm. fighting but like we can't forget that that foundation that fabric is still laid on the ground like it, it hasn't gone away it's still it's something that we have foundational exactly yeah, yeah. Wow. and then so yeah so that was the four paintings and then i had a quilt or two quilts it's actually an installation piece so it consists of two quilts a set of mirrors circular mirrors in the middle and then like a seating area and like my vision for this like pre-covid because i was like really starting to get rolling on this project when um COVID started, the quilt specifically. Uh, originally, I wanted it to be like a whole, a whole setup with like a light fixture that I wanted to make that projected stars onto the ground. And I wanted to like create like a soundscape. So like the, the mm. viewer was like, like fully immersed in the experience. So like that's something I definitely want to like explore on later. Mm. Um, but what I was able to accomplish was the two quilts, the set of mirrors and the seating area and so, like, the quilts are... Well, I can just tell the background story a little bit um, before I get into what the quilts actually look like. So I was doing my research, and I learned of this tribe of people called the Ibu people, and they were a group of people that were captured from, like, I believe the northern coast of Nigeria, current-day Nigeria, and they were brought to um, the coast of Georgia. And so before they, before the um, the slave masters actually were able to bring them to Georgia, they decided to commit mass suicide. And they did this by jumping off of the ship and wow. subsequently drowning. And so they basically said that life in chains was worse than no life at all. Mm. And like in my research, like I read people saying like, some people consider this like the first freedom march, which is like mm. just like a very beautiful way to like reshape a tragic story. And so from that story was birthed the legend of flying Africans. And so enslaved people that um, of course were in America um, would would say would claim to see people flying and it was kind of a way of like spiritual escapism. Mm. Like, oh, like someone died, oh, like they're flying, they're flying back to Africa, kind mm. of a thing. And like, we can see this, this theme continue in like literature today. Like, uh, Beyonce has used this in, mm. I believe, I don't know which video, but like, so the legend is like flying Africans or are seeing Africans walking on water back to Africa. Mm. And Toni Morrison has used this idea in her books many times as well. And it's just like, I just find it so beautiful that like such a tragic story can be turned into something beautiful and that's kind of like the theme of my whole right. show and kind of like the theme of being an African-American person <laughs> yeah. here in America. The life theme. Yeah. Right, like just taking tragedy and turning it into beauty and turning it mm -hmm. into something that can like free your soul from such like a... A captive state you know like the idea of like flying back to Africa is just like so powerful mm -hmm. so um, mm -hmm. so in the quilts I have two of them um, 
they're bas- it basically depicts uh, these bodies flying back to Africa, and they're very, like, I, so the process was, like, it was pretty long, actually. The background of the quilt was dyed in batik style, mm-hmm. so it was, like, you put wax on the fabric, you dye it, and then you wash the wax off, so, like, everything that you dyed, or everything that isn't, didn't have wax on it is dyed. Yeah. So then you add more wax, add more dye, and then you have kind of this, like, multi-layered, mm. um, just, like, really beautiful, really, like, vast, uh, like, sky scene. And then mm. from there, I quilted uh, the, the bodies uh, in flight and clouds as well. So it's basically the scene of these black bodies flying up to the sky, but to, to the North Star. So kind of like reimagining the story instead of flying back to Africa, flying back to the North Star, or flying to the North Star, which is a representation of freedom, mm-hmm. as if like they were able to see kind of like the, the um, abolition of slavery in a way, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like paying tribute to their very bold actions, but kind of reimagining it in a way where they were able to see um, other enslaved people uh, find freedom, mm-hmm. which was really important to me. So um, in the middle of those two quilts are a group of circular mirrors, and then so the, the person sits in front of the mirrors, and so they can look from one side across the mirrors and then to the other quilt. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to kind of put the viewer inside of the quilts, which is why I wanted to have the whole setup with like the soundscape mm-hmm. and like the lights to really just like fully immerse yourself in the experience. But the idea of that is like, so when you look in the mirrors, like you see a fragmented kind of mm-hmm. image of yourself. And I wanted to just reflect on like the way that our history has been like very rooted in oral history, very rooted in storytelling. So in that way, and also like, those those types of history are very invalidated in white culture. Like we're in, like yeah. white supremacy culture is so rooted in data and facts. In written history. In too. written history, like and obviously we didn't have the luxury of always recording our history. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Trying to so, survive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, just the idea of like when your history is fragmented, it, it almost fragments your identity and like the collective identity. And so by making these quilts, just taking all these broken pieces and putting them together into one, and like it's just, it's very much the whole, um, it's like the whole kind of concept of being a person part of a diaspora, kind of like trying to find bits and pieces of your story and putting it together to create something that reflects like the, the history that that is true and that is told to you. Yeah. Oh, the balancing act of it all. I wish I yeah. could see it all. Like, the nuance. I love, um, I, I love in senior pieces the integration of human bodies with nature mm. and knowing that we're not separate and mm. um, being um, of African descent and, you know, middle, middle American descent, you know, mm. um, being indigenous, um, how we are close to the land and we've always been close to the land and how um, there's like a resurgence or fetishization of like homesteading and you know yeah. agriculture restoration agriculture right. and, and um in 
introducing this into black and brown areas where we've always organic farm. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are you talking about? Like, we all right? sharecroppers. Like, what are you really saying? Um, trying to, you know, feed our culture back to us in a diluted form. Yes. Right. Um, and I love that you had four pieces for um, making the structure of a square, which is a strong shape, foundational shape, and how those can make um, how those many squares can make up a house or if you're a kid you can do like the little box house with a triangle roof mm-hmm. so it's like you making your structure mm-hmm. alongside going along this timeline of black women's experience in America using the literal fabric of their clothing mm-hmm. and representing um, their agency through symbolism of the flower and I love how it like reflects reality with the part of us that is our essence that is our spirituality that is um Mm -hmm. non-tangible in the real world but you're able to reflect it in your art and i love the reflection of having the mirrors and putting yourself in it Mm -hmm. and also the artistic process as a reflection to a culture and providing catharsis for a community Mm -hmm. um so it's like so much is woven into that um Mm -hmm. i love hearing the process and the discovery in that and yeah, it's it's interesting like hearing you being introduced to um, textiles and woodworking and stuff like that. Like those are things that probably ancestors on your mother's side have been introduced to. So mm-hmm. being a black and brown person, like we have to weave our culture back in order exactly. to get the truth. And like we often grow up with this starving feeling, but we have the information here and you're literally crafting it with your hands. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. built from the DNA of our, your ancestors. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, <laughs> to be alive is amazing. You know, yeah. so it's like Truly. I love that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's so much like lyricism and like poetry in in the stories that are brought together. I feel like, and it's funny because as you're describing it, I wonder if I've seen any of is any of it on your kind of Instagram page? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I must have seen some of it, but I'm also kind of like having seen your style before, also trying to picture it in my head and putting myself in this kind of like huge black space with this like. It, like as if the world is huge and and dark, and then there's like this little space of light mm-hmm. with this like all these different elements like playing together, almost cocooning you into like mm-hmm. being told a bedtime story, which is in a strange oh. way kind of what this is too. <laughs> one of her murals is near my house. Um, it's yeah. uh, the one of Toni Morrison yeah. and Sunflowers. So oh, I love that's that. yours. Yeah, that's awesome. on the side of that purple house. So I see it's that. So and beautiful. I smile Every time I see like, it, I'm like, oh, that's dope. yeah. So that's your work. <laughs> and so I, there's another mural that you did. I'm um, going towards. Uh, can you go ski and cyclery and then alternatives that that mural with all the black and brown bodies like doing movement together yeah. i love that one and just like yeah that's my favorite to work on actually really yeah, it's, it's so much yeah it was very it was very like loose and like free and also like i had a lot of my friends helping me with that as well like Fun. sophia and zuri mm-hmm. and like uh the community at caleb's house like all oh, kind of got cool. their brushes in there so it was like it I mean, it's a painting, it's a mural that is supposed to kind of reflect the values of the Cancer Research Center, and they kind of saw, like, a lacking of of black and brown people, like, seeking help, and they recognize, obviously, like, the medical field has been kind of a traumatizing sector for African-American people, yeah. so having that sign as a way of, like, wow. like this is a space for you as Welcome well, in. so, like, yeah. come, wow. kind of a thing. That's so, great. like, creating this mural that was very based in community, with the community, was, like, was just, like, very holistic and really yes. beautiful. It was and, a great experience. And this is the kind of thing, it's it's funny, as, we, as, we, as we've talked about your process of trying to find 
the right educational institution for you. Mm. Um, whatever, and you know, I think we're encouraged to have this really linear path right. with our work. And it's like, you go to school when you're 18 and you have four, four years of school and then you can go get your master's and that's two years. Right. And, and it's, but you could not, like what you have done and what you have built and, and how you have, what you have found in your process cannot be done in this ways. And, and timelines aren't meant to be followed exactly because everyone has a different process which is why you, exactly. what you were saying earlier like you can't really teach that you know you can't really exactly. teach someone to discover themselves not really you know mm-hmm. yeah I mean it takes time and I feel like like I've been very appreciative of the path that like life has taken me on because I feel like like when I was leaving purchase I felt very much like ugh, like maybe I'm done in school maybe school isn't for me kind of a thing and like I feel like I would have been fine without school, but also, like, my parents did push me a lot to, like, like, you've already done two and a half years, like, you should just finish kind of a thing, like, you already have loans, which, like, of course is, like, a driving factor of, like, yeah, let's get the actual degree since we paid for it, basically, kind of a thing, but, like, having that interim time was, like, very effective for me as a way of, like, like, I had time Mm -hmm. to to process every different, like, stage that I was in, which was Mm. really useful. And you couldn't have, you wouldn't have built that, maybe in your head, you wouldn't have built that process in your head, but that was exactly what needed to happen right. for you to get to where exactly. you are right And now. I feel like people need to, like, recognize that life isn't a linear path. Mm-hmm. Like, things aren't, like, okay, like you're saying, like, you're 18, you finish high school, you go to college, this, this, that. Like, like our society has set up kind of this blueprint of, mm-hmm. like, this is how you become, successful. like, successful, or this is, like, the path to adulthood, which... Yep. Like, who knows what that even means? No, because everyone's pretending. Right, (laughs) exactly. Like, where, like, why is there a point where we should stop exploring and stop having, like, that childhood wonder? That's death. Yeah, that's 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 literally death. It's literally setting setting us up to be cogs in the machine of capitalism and keeping this machine running so that the top 1% can have everything. Like... And more and, than that, really. Yeah, <laughs> literally have, like, ugh, it's just so annoying, and it's so, it's such a brainwashy way of, of living, and, like, if you look at, like, education systems, like, that we have today, like, it was kind of set up for the industrial age of, Correct. like, you're, yeah. you're gonna go to the school and follow these rules so that you are ready to become a factory worker mm-hmm. and These ready. bells will go off at this time so you can go to Exactly. It's still the exactly. same thing. It's just that now you have, you're a service worker and you have to answer calls in a call center for, like, you know, or whatever, right. like, whatever it right. ends up being. Yeah, so, it's all programming that we really just need to, like, understand that we can break away from. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the, um hearing your story of how you've been able to balance like um gaining your own agency spiritually artistically um and take time for yourself and then um also take time for yourself to go back into school i know that um being um a person of color like education is so important for our sense of agency and especially Mm -hmm. if you're first generation Mm -hmm. um and so having that um being put on our lap and encouraged and groomed for that and not wanting to let our parents down is a way as well as wanting to have our own agency in the world as an individual so carrying those both and um, I'm wondering would you recommend um, uh, for creative people or for young people to take time 
um, after they graduate high school. I, I remember my mom was um, actually after she graduated from university, she was um, a director of admissions at the college that she graduated from, mm. and she actually recommended that people take a year off from the transition from high school to college and how it's formative for development. Mm -hmm. And usually people that come back um, are more um, settled in what they want to study and they have like mm -hmm. a better, a clearer idea because they're not coming fresh from all those years of um, primary and secondary school. Mm -hmm. But with that being t like, within being ten like tension around like, oh, like you might not come back. You know, my mom was going yeah. into black and brown inner city communities and and having these discussions you know mm. um so i'm wondering would you recommend taking time out of um institutions while figuring stuff out and returning like um yeah is that something you recommend um i don't know i guess it's kind of hard to say i feel like i mean i guess at that age it's a little bit hard to know exactly what's good for you and like how <laughs> to truly be in tune with yourself but i feel like uh, if you're a young person who is like feeling like you're pressured into going to school like yeah like take that time like there's some people that can go right into school and they'll do totally fine and then there are people who like to take a year off but then they always like throw that statistic at you that's like most people that take a year off and like never return mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's true i don't know if that's right, like fear-mongering you to like get into the, the college and also demonize the plight of like single parenthood and like people that are struggling not knowing the other context around it right exactly yeah so i don't know i mean mm. i feel like it's something that that people need to like think about and i, I wish that's something that was kind of presented in high school as a way because mm. it's like always like it's like that shame of people who aren't going to college it's like, yeah oh, yeah, we have this whole thing with like signs that you have to make your friends for this. This person's going to blog, exactly. so you have to like post right. the signs up on the front. Yep. And so that gave me so much anxiety. Sign. I was like, I don't want. I don't, I don't want to do that. And yeah, they put it in the program when you graduate. Exactly, it puts so much pressure on the college experience, and it puts so much pressure on like you need to be on to the next thing, on to the next thing, yeah. like this, 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 is this, this. If you're valid, yeah. well, which isn't true. On to the next thing. Oh. What are you working on now? What is it? What have you worked on since you know we we had quarantine? You were working on your thesis mm -hmm. that you you finished that, but it also was somewhat halted. But then what has happened since quarantine in March and right, right. Um, so yeah, for I mean obviously because of quarantine, like it started in March and like my semester ended like in May or whatever. So like first couple months, like the first month of quarantine, I like honestly didn't paint. I felt like super depressed and like really anxious and like with like the show being canceled I was mm -hmm. kind of like like it was something I was looking forward to like literally the, the six yeah. years that I've been yeah. doing college so I was like right. well fuck I mean <laughs> I'm fucking sad right. yeah. <laughs> so like having that hiatus and then kind of just like getting myself back into the rhythm of like like it's not just about a show it's also about like this is work you're really passionate about and kind of like revitalizing that passion um but like after so like with the show I was supposed to also make shirts which was something that I started doing back in like 2019 so I guess just last year um like September of last actually no it was actually the year before that 2018 um, I made these like women's rights shirts that was like these two women, uh, black and brown women that were kind of breaking uh, a coat hanger as a way, and then it says never 
um, we refuse to regress or something like that, um, just as a commentary on, at the time, all of the uh, shit with, like, Brett Kavanaugh being um, elected in, as, as one of the judges and, like, the fear around that and, like, are we going to go back on um, Roe versus Wade and, like, and all of the, the different things happening in different states with all the crazy abortion laws that were happening at the time and are still happening. Um, so that was just in response to that. And uh, and then I realized how like people responded to them. Like a lot of people, um, when I went to like Zine Fest and stuff, would buy them like and they would sell out like that. Hmm. So that was the first shirts that I did in, in 2018. And like I did like I think $5 from each shirt went to Planned Parenthood. Hmm. Um, and then so the second one that I did was the Power to the People one. I made that last year in 2019 uh, in the fall. And um, at the time, I was like relearning a lot of like the principles of the Black Panthers mm-hmm. and just like watching a lot of documentaries on them and, and rereading some, some texts um, from them as well. And that inspired me to make that shirt. And so then come to the thesis, uh, part I so for the show I planned to make shirts and then I I was so excited too because like I wanted to sell shirts and have like 20% of the proceeds go to this fund called Black and Missing which is a an organization that basically if you go to their website you'll see um, all these children that are missing and then you can donate and then they basically do more than what the police will do in terms of investigation because those cases Obviously, they don't right. really have um, a hierarchy at all or um, oh, they priority. Do. Oh, they do. They prioritize. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, yeah. um, so that was my plan to, to make shirts that were based off, like, thesis work and then have some proceeds be donated. And then so after I graduated, uh, I was kind of, like, in this limbo, kind of, like, should I start painting again? At the same time, like, I've just been painting really intensely for an entire year. Mm. So, like, um, end of May, um, when, like, the uprising started, uh, kind of just, like, feeling super helpless and, like, like, how do I help? How do I, how do I, like, encourage people to pay attention and that kind of thing? So I started reprinting the Power to the People shirts and like uh doing some fundraising around those like doing like the first five uh 100 percent of the proceeds being donated and then uh 20 percent from there mm. and then like the response from that was like really good and then so i felt really inspired to make the uh defund shirts with the pig face oh yeah right now and um the dismantle uh white supremacy shirt and so that was, that's kind of a way for me to, like, to merge, like, social justice and artistry and, like, fibers art and, like, just kind of, like, and all... fashion, darling. And fashion. Yeah, oh, yeah. And fashion. Hello. Hello. Yeah. The little girl fantasy. Right. There like, it, it's all kind of coming up and, and, like, kind of melding into one thing, which has been, like, super cool and, like, rewarding for me. And, yeah, so, like, right now I'm just like working on different dye methods mm-hmm. and um also thinking of new like designs and stuff for for shirts and 
I'm ripping one of your shirts now, one of the Southside yeah, shirts. Yeah, the Southside shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of like, I feel like that was almost like a catalyst to a lot of the work that I've been getting. Hmm. Yeah, so like shout out to Dr. Nia, always yes. ripping like dead ass, <laughs> always supporting. We're in, yeah, Fred Hampton shirts. Uh, yeah, your shirts have like awesome content on the back, like things that yeah, they stood for. Yeah, um, yeah, that um, was... Um, it was like a group effort, so I did the drawings and like uh, got them ready for the printers and stuff. Okay. And uh, the people on the Southside team gathered all the quotes and everything. So it was just like a nice kind of group effort. And then, of course, having the shirts be sold and all the proceeds going to Southside has been like super cool and super rewarding to like not only see them become really popular and like see people around the streets like so oh cool. oh shit they're in my shirt <laughs> but also like knowing that it's it's helped like build Southside's uh donation funds as well yeah which is a local organization yeah here in Ithaca. yeah mm-hmm. um that's awesome cool. and you said you were you have something coming up as well yeah i'm working on like um kind of like a fall um drop with like like more sweaters and hoodies and that kind nice. of thing but i want to have a couple maybe a couple maybe one that's um just like decorative um and then another one that's kind of based in like trying to manifest a society that that i think we need to be and that we are focusing in on and just kind of like reaffirming the need for a new society and i just think like Things that are written and things that are drawn and said and spoken and put into the ether, like, have the opportunity to manifest, and I believe in that a lot. So, like, you know, putting things out there that that need to be seen and need to be pushed is really important to me. And this will be on your Etsy? Yeah. Yeah. And I usually post about it on my Instagram. Cool. Like, when I have new stuff in the shop. Cool. So yeah. All right, we'll definitely post that in the show notes so people can find you and follow you and what have you. Yes, yes. Awesome. And you said you're doing some fundraising also for a mural that's coming up too. You have so many things that you're working I know, on. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, the underground mural, uh, mural uh, project. So on Green Street, um, underneath that bridge, there's a current mural there. It's called the Underground R- Railroad Mural, and it basically depicts Harriet Tubman and. Um, Frederick Douglass and then there's like kind of some stuff in the middle and so we're trying to revitalize that and so it was done by either a like a white artist or a Latin artist that's like white adjacent Mm. Um, adjacent. (laughs) so like by like trying to um, just build upon what they already have well not necessarily build upon but we're gonna basically reinvent it but with obviously the same premise, but kind of tie it back into Ithaca um, and just expand upon like the depth that um, it's kind of lacking right now. So um, originally like we did wanna get it started like as soon as possible, but we're fundraising right now. I believe we are like a quarter of the way of our goal. So um, I mean, from what it's looking like right now, I don't think we're gonna be able to start it this season. But like, I think we'll be able to start it next spring once we have all the the fundraising done. So like everyone can get paid, we can get materials that are good quality, right. and yeah, like everyone can feel like good and like supported. And we'll post a link to that fundraiser Definitely. as well so on the show notes. Contribute. 
Yes. And um, yeah, we want to support our black artists and our, yes. you know, the art that needs to be made. That's what, right. um, well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us today and sharing oh, your story. Yeah. So fun. I feel yes. so like. I I'm like, like want to go read so many things and make so many things. <laughs> I'm really inspired too. I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. All right, all cylinders. Well, thank you again, listeners. And yeah, until next time. Yes. All right. Hasta pronto. Bye bye.